low. Okay, so um, my name is Milo. I'm one of the student leaders here at Salt Company. Um, tonight we're going to be in Luke 15, 11 through 32. So if you got your Bible, you can pull that out. And I always like to take the opportunity when I can to shout out, if you guys don't have a Bible, we just believe here that it's like the living word of God. And I remember we used to have these out on the seats my freshman year, and I picked this one up, and this one's seen me through, like, my whole faith walk. And it's just, like, such a cool thing to have, like, the word of God preserved through time, like, now given to you. So um, if you don't have one, they're out back, and when you turn left, there's, like, a rack of them. But um, tonight it's the parable of the prodigal son. So it starts, and, and Jesus said, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and is found. Um, pray with me quick. Yeah, Lord, um, it's just such a blessing to have your word and to be able to learn more about you through your teaching, and yeah, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move through Rob, and that you would um, just reveal the message that you want us to hear tonight. God, would you just lay um, this story heavy on our hearts? Yeah, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, what's up, Salt Company? You guys good tonight? Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, you're like, who's this dude? Way bigger than David. Doesn't look as cool as Roger. Those are both true. But my name is Rob. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Doxa Church. They let me preach here at, at Salt Company every now and again. Uh, I used to be a lot younger when I was in college ministry, so I was kind of like the cool older brother. 
I've transitioned into, at the very least, like the weird uncle, so they keep me away from campus, but now that you're here, it's, it's an awesome thing. But guys, I'm excited, all right? And uh, before I even get into this, they didn't tell me to say this, but fall retreat, all right? Guys, this is an awesome time. As I think about like my walk with God, I became a Christian my senior year in college. I think about some of the most profound moments of, of my time and my walk with Jesus, and it has been the times where I've kind of set out to meet with God. There's those moments where we set out to meet with God that he just draws near to us. And so, guys, as much as I can encourage you to go to fall retreat, it's going to be awesome. And honestly, there's a lot of people here at Doxa Church that if money is an issue, just literally come find one of us and somebody in Doxa Church will pay for you to go. We love Salt Company. We love all of you. And so we just want you to go and have a good time. So please do not let money be the thing that, that keeps you from that. So, but what Milo just read, all right, is an amazing story from the Bible. Right, and this is a, a passage in the Bible that since becoming a Christian, my senior year in college, I've probably read, I don't know, upwards of 100 times. And since being a pastor, I've probably preached this passage maybe a dozen times. Some of you have maybe even heard me preach through this passage. But, but here's the interesting thing for me. Right, this story, this parable, never gets old. Never gets old. Is there music playing right now? Okay. <laughs> it's like some emotional moment. I don't know. Sarah McLaughlin's going to come out. I don't know. All right. Anyway, it really just never, never, oh my gosh, what is happening tonight, guys? I think your stand's broke up here, Jess. There we go. Okay. <laughs> guys, let's just pray and have the band come up here and we'll just call it a night. Okay. <laughs> but here we go. It never gets old, you know, and, and I'm an office guy. Okay. I know office, you know, parks and rec, good, new girl, meh, whatever, but the Office, I've, I say this to my shame, I've probably watched The Office, I don't know, some six, seven times through every season, okay? And I get to the point now that I'm, I'm bored and I'm like, I'll just watch an episode of The Office and I'm just scrolling through every single episode. I'm like, all right, I know this one, Kevin drops the chili and I know this one, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just like, I'm, I'm kind of bored with it. But for me, guys, this is not like, kind of like The Office for me. All right, the more and more I read this, Jesse, can you get me a stand? This is just ridiculous right here. Um, instead of getting bored with this passage, the interesting thing for me is that the more and more I read this, the more and more thankful and joyful I get. Because every time I read this passage that Milo just read, I'm reminded of the truth of who God is and what God is like. And that's actually what this parable is all about. It's given to us to help us to understand who God is and what God is like. There we go. Guys, give it up for Jesse. This is like the most weird salt company we've had, but it is amazing. Thanks, man. Here we go. My name is Rob. I'll start over, okay? No. Here we go. But guys, I, I read this and just get more and more joyful. We're, we're given this to help us understand who God is, what he's like. And so I want to start with this, okay? There's a man named A.W. Tozer, uh, one of my favorite theologians, pastors. He, he once said this, and I think it's so profound and so true. He says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I just want you to think about that. That what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so even as you sit here, we all are coming from different walks of life, we're all coming in different like spiritual journeys and different places in our faith with God, but what comes to your mind when you think about God? And when I think about my life and what I've experienced and what I see people do is so many people today 
are, are confused about who God is and what God is like because their thoughts on him, while they're personal, they might not be truthful. That apart from the Bible, guys, we cannot know who God is and what God is like. And this is one of the prime reasons that Jesus gives us this parable. All right, if you look back to verse 1 in chapter 15, these people are asking Jesus questions. They don't understand like how he's living and why he's relating and talking to certain people. And they're ultimately just exposing. They're very confused about Jesus' identity and his activity. And in this, they're actually exposing the truth that they're confused at the nature of who God really is. But what comes in our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And when we think about God, guys, one of the things that should come to our mind is one word. Father. If you've read your Bible, you've seen this, that one of the primary ways that God reveals himself to us in the Bible is using the word Father. In fact, if you look at the words of Jesus, this is his favorite way of addressing God. For example, if you, if you look through the Gospels and, and look at Jesus' words, he refers to God as, as Father over 165 times. God is a Father. This is such a massive topic of profound importance. But here's the question that you have to ask questions when you come to the Bible. And the question is why? Why this amount of emphasis? Why this name for God, Father, used so many times? A very specific way to reveal himself, but why? Here's what I think, Saul Company. With God, there's, there's no accidents that we're supposed to hear the Father language given to us in the Bible to help us know the truth about God and experience something through this. That if you think about a father, we should think of someone who desires a relationship with us, who cares for us, that dads love their kids. They wanna spend time with them, they wanna take care of them, they wanna love them, they want their children to know just how far they will go to protect them. They'll risk everything for their good. Dads want their children to know that if they're lost, they're gonna come find them. This is what dads do. And so for us, as a child of God, through faith in Jesus, it's pretty awesome that God is like a dad like that, right? I mean, have you thought about this? We have a God who loves us like a father. Now, here's the problem with this. Here's what tends to happen. Guys, we, we tend to project our experience with our earthly dads onto our heavenly father. And because many of us, we do this, many people have a very malnourished understanding of who God is and what God is like. And it's a hard thing to view God as a father. And it just twists it because we project our earthly experiences from our earthly dads onto our heavenly dad. Let me give you just a few examples. All right, just not too long ago, there's a woman in our church who really struggles to trust God. And as I sat with her and talked with her, you know, it came out that I even said, isn't it awesome that we have like a, a father for a God? And she just started to cry and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, she's resonating with this. But what it came out to be is that her father sexually, emotionally, and physically abused her. And so thinking about God as a father is something that she's like, well, I, I, my experience with fathers is not good. I can't trust God. There's a guy in my connection group. His dad is, was just totally disinterested in him didn't care about him at all. And he walks through his everyday stuff of life thinking God is like that. And he's a Christian, he loves Jesus, but his understanding of God the Father is that he's far off, he doesn't really care about me until I screw up and then he's gonna zap me with a laser, right? 
And I think about myself. My dad was just really hard on me. My dad had some mental illness, and so my house was super volatile. One day he could be saying he loves me, the next day I was called a bastard and kicked out of the house. And I was never good enough for my dad. He, I never once heard him say I was good enough, and then he killed himself, and I still have never heard my dad say those words. And even when I became a Christian, as a pastor, I'm, I'm projecting those things on God. I know that God is a father and he loves me, but I have such a hard time believing that I don't have to do anything to get his love. And I'm trying to prove myself. Guys, this happens to so many of us. We misunderstand God and who he is and what he's like. And when we misunderstand God as a father, what happens is it causes us not to lean in, but to lean out. And we resist him. And it's just absolutely devastating that the thing that God gives to us to most relate to him, this idea of father, is oftentimes the thing that keeps many people away from him. But this is precisely why we need the Bible. All right, this book is a book that God wrote. And it's all about him for us so that we can get to know him. And this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at this. We're going to hear from God. We're going to let him teach us who he is. And we're going to do this by looking at the parable that we just read, oftentimes called the prodigal son. All right? And so as we get into this, I need to share a few quick things up front. All right? The first thing, as we consider this story of the prodigal son, first thing you need to know, the word prodigal literally means like recklessly spending. All right, it means to spend until you have absolutely nothing left. And we'll come back to that here in just a few minutes. But the second thing is this, is that throughout this story, we're going to meet three people. We're going to meet a father and his two sons, an older one and a younger one. And we need to understand that as we look at this story, and if you don't get anything, you just hear this, okay, or you're going to miss the whole point of this, this parable, is that in this story, the father represents God, while the two sons actually represent us. And there's a ton for us to learn about God here. All right, so let's get into this. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus told them this story, all right? And he's telling them this story so that they can understand who God is because people are confused about them. So he tells them the story. A man had two sons. Remember these two sons? They represent us. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father, who's a picture of God in this story, agreed to divide his wealth between his son. All right, so what we have is this, this younger son goes to his dad and basically just says, dad, I want my inheritance, all right, give me everything I'm going to get when you die. And I know that, like, hey, you're not, you got some more tread on the tires. You're not going to die anytime soon. But, guys, you just got to understand, like, this has got to break the dad's heart, right? I mean, this was a slap in the face to his dad. He's like, you're alive, but I wish you were dead. You're not going to die. Let's just pretend that you are dead. Give me what I want so I can just leave you. This would have broken this dad's heart. I mean, this would have probably ticked him off, but the story goes on to say that the father just divided up his property between his two boys, and he let the younger son go. And I think it's just absolutely insane that the father went along with this demand, with like seemingly no hesitation. It had to kill him to know that his son like hated him, wanted him dead, and was just wanted to leave possibly forever. It had to break his heart, but in spite of all this, he agrees to the request, and he just watches his son walk away. Now, if you don't ask questions when you read the Bible, you need to do that. And some of you have grown up in churches where it's just like, no, you just listen to me. I will teach you everything you need to know about the Bible. Guys, I want you to know I'm not that smart. You need to ask questions. We're going to teach you what we think is true in the Bible, but you ask questions as you're reading it. Why? 
Why is the question I ask. Why did the father do this? And Saul Company, here's what I think. I think it's because he knew that although he could force his son to stay home and not give him the money, he could never force his son to love him. Love cannot be forced. It has to be given. And so the father gives this son what he wanted and he watched him go. Now remember that this story is ultimately about God and us and there's an important thing that we can learn about God here. That while God loves you, he sees you, he desires you, he's made a way for you to be with him, while he has done everything to show you that and to have a relationship with you, hear me on this, he gives you some type of choice in the matter. Right? He cares about you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you. He pursues you. He's brought you here tonight. But you have to have some sort of response to this love. And not understanding this can be so frustrating. And some of you guys are so frustrated. Some of you have been going to church for a really long time throughout your life. Some of you have been coming to Salt Company, right, for, for years. And you kind of like are in this place where you're wanting to learn and you are learning about God's love, but you don't feel close to God. Maybe you started going to a connection group thinking like, I'm gonna start feeling close to God. I'm, I'm coming to Salt Company, I'm going to connection group, but I, you're just not feeling it. And you, you feel like there's a chasm. Maybe you look around and you say, why can't I have what that person has? I mean, that girl is like so jacked up. She's not jacked up, jacked, she's excited, right? She's, she's like so excited every time she walks in the Salt Company. She loves God, she's always reading her Bible. Like, I want that, why don't I have that in me? They seem to be so close to God, but that's just not my experience. I have none of that. And when I talk to people who feel that, here's the thing I always ask. Have you responded to the love of God that you constantly hear about? See, it's not just enough to learn about God's love. You need to respond to that. Accept it. Give your life for it. Put your faith in him and trust in him. And I just need you to know, guys, if you're sitting here tonight and you're desiring to know God more, you need to understand that it's not by just responding to an invitation to Salt Company and saying, yeah, I'll come, I'll be there. It's not that. But closeness to God is started and sustained and deepened when we respond to God in faith through Jesus. This is the difference between examining the love of God and experiencing the love of God. I could take this book to the Free Thinking Society, the Atheist Headquarters down at the Capitol, right? And we could open up the Bible and I could sit there with atheists who don't believe in God, who don't love God, who don't follow God, and we could read the Bible and they could examine the love of God. Anybody can examine the love of God. It's only the Christian who comes to Jesus in faith that truly experiences the love of God. Has there been anybody here that has experienced the love of God? You've heard about it for a while. He opens up your eyes, you say yes. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Everything just changes. That is the offer. And all of humanity is looking for this love. We might not articulate it like that, but we're constantly looking for it. And all of us, we, we look to different places. Many of people look in relationships or status or success. We're trying to find like a full, content, joyful love in our life. But I want you to know that all this fullness of life that we talk about here at Salt Company, it begins with the Father. 
And if you're not a Christian, I just need to tell you that in all of your endeavors to find fulfillment in your life, contentment in your life, joy in your life, love in your life, you will never grasp hold of any of that unless you grasp hold of Jesus. You need to know that. And guys, I don't stand up here as like a pious pastor that just has to say all this stuff. I stand up here as a very broken man who has looked really hard down almost every path that you could possibly go. I've been there. I've tried. And one of the things I hope to be able to tell my kids is like, dad is really jacked up and here's my life story and nothing fulfilled me until I met Jesus. And so salt, fulfillment, joy, love, contentment begins with the father. This kid did not understand that. He had his eyes on other things. He was thinking, if I just pursue all those other things, this is going to bring me what I most desire. Now let's keep going. Verse 13, this kid gets the money, and it says, a few days later, this young son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the same time his money ran, ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man set him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. All right, so the son gets the money. He heads off to a distant land. He wanted to get as far away from his father as possible. He really just wanted nothing to do with him. So he gets the money, and he heads off to a place where he could do whatever he wanted, not answer to anybody, be his own boss, functionally be his own God. And when he gets there for a while, everything is great, right? Life was just a big party. He's getting crazy, doing some questionable stuff, giving it the old college try, right? Just he's having a good time. And then reality hits in. And quickly he realizes that he just wasted everything. He's got nothing left, nothing even to pay for food, and nowhere to turn. Just picture yourself in this kid's situation, right? I mean, he's probably sitting there thinking, okay, I got nothing. There's no way I can go back to my dad. Not a chance. Basically told him I wished he was dead, never wanted to see him again. I'm going to try and find a job. He starts looking for a job. He finds a job on a pig farm. Right, starts doing this, not making any money, starving to death, literally looking at the pig slop, being like, oh, that looks good, right? And as you hear this story, guys, what this is supposed to do is make us think of an absolutely terrible, disgusting situation. All right, pigs in these days for the Jews were seen as unclean. And so as Jesus told this story, the original audience would have been thinking like, oh, wow, wow, this is really bad. This is like the worst possible scenario. This kid has hit rock bottom. And as I hear Jesus tell this story, I imagine this kid thinking, man, I didn't see that coming. You guys been in situations like that? Where you just get swept up in the moment and you just do stuff and you keep doing stuff and it's like fun and all of a sudden like something just happens right? And you just ruin everything. You ruin your life. You're like, I did not see that coming. This played out way differently in my head. This is what I see so many times with people who don't understand the love of God. I know that some of you in here, the way that you grew up, the churches that you attended growing up, you see God as kind of like an oppressive father with a bunch of rules. And you believe that the only way to have like a fun, free, joyful life is really just to run from God, to distance yourself from his people in the church. 
And so you do. And you run away, just like this young son. You run from God, you run from God's people, and you do your own thing. And some of you, I know in a room this size, some of you are doing a great job at that right now. You're doing a really great job. And I know that there's some of you in here that you know God. You really do. And that you also know how you're living and how that's just destroying your relationship with God. But you just kind of push it down. You try and cover it up. You try and not think about it because it just makes you feel bad. And I know that there's others of you in here, like you don't know anything about God. Like Salt Company, the Bible, Christianity, it's altogether new for you. And maybe you're beginning to see God for who he truly is and your life for who you truly are. And you're realizing there's some things in me that's causing me to kind of drift away from God. Run away from God. And this running, guys, can be fun at at first, right? I mean, let's be honest. Like, sin can oftentimes start off as really fun. I'm not going to stand up here and lie about that. That's why we sin. Because oftentimes it's good, it's fun, it feels good, at least for a while. And then you look at your life and you're like, what have I become? What What is going on with my life? And you reach a point similar to this son. And look, even as I stand up here and teach this, I think one of the reasons why I love this passage so much is because I'm reminded of my own story. I didn't grow up knowing God. I I didn't really know Christians growing up. I knew two. Some of you heard me tell you this before, but I I knew my grandfather, who was a very legalistic, strict man, so I would walk in with tattoos and earrings, and it was like I was going to catch on fire. I was so evil, okay? And then I went to school with a kid in elementary school, and he was just really, really weird, right? And so, like, I was just like, if that's what it means to be a Christian, like, I'm cool, okay? I'm, I'm good. I'm not doing that. But in college, I remember my sophomore year, I had a friend who started telling me about Jesus. His name was Andy. Bigger than me, stronger than me, had beaten me up. And then all of a sudden, he just started talking about how he loved God, and I had no category in my head where this fit. And he would share the gospel with me, and he would talk about the love of God, the grace of God, forgiveness of sin, heaven, And as I would listen to him, I'd be like, man, that all sounds great. I really wish that that was true. I wanted everything that he said, and I wanted it all to be true, but I just didn't know. And on top of that, I was living my life my way, and I was having a good time, and it seemed to be going well. I was promised I was going to make millions of dollars in the NFL and all this stuff. And basically, long story short, a bunch of injuries ended my football career, and I found myself in a place of just like everything that I was building my life on crumbled. And the patterns that I had in my life to find joy and contentment and all those different things, I just had to go after them even harder. And everything I could get my hands on to smoke and to snort and to drink and to sleep with, I just did it. And I remember like the moment, like this kid that hit me, my mom and my little sister were upstairs in the middle of the night in, their con- in her, my mom's condo. I was on my mom's kitchen table just doing lines of cocaine by myself. She had a mirror above her kitchen table. And I remember I came up from a line and I just looked at myself in the mirror and it's that point in the movie where you're just kind of standing there and it's like everything stops and you just have a conversation. And be it a thought in my own head or the voice of God, I remember thinking like, what is your life? You're made for more. This is what happened to this kid. Look at verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. 
I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. I want you to circle that in your Bible. He ran to his son. This is a big, important point. We'll talk about it in a minute. His, he embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer be worthy of called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fat calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. The son is so desperate that he decides to do the unthinkable thing. He decides to go back to his dad and basically just beg for forgiveness. And so he starts to walk home. And he gets within seeing distance of his house. And it's almost like you get a picture of the dad has been sitting on the front porch the whole time he's been gone. He's in his rocking chair, drinking his coffee, smoking a cigarette, and just waiting for his dad or his son to come back home. He's not smoking a cigarette. I don't know. It just sounded good. doesn't sound good. I don't smoke. Whatever. Okay, right. But he's sitting there, and he's just waiting for his son to come back home. And he sees his boy walking down the path, and he just gets up and runs. And we might think, like, yeah, that's what, that's what a good dad would do, run after his kid. You need to understand Guys, in Jewish culture, an older Jewish man never ran. It was seen as dishonorable. It was seen as something not proper. And so this son had never probably seen his dad run. I can imagine this kid, he's walking, and all of a sudden dad just pops up, starts running. The kid's probably like, what is going on? Like, is he going to kill me? Like, is this like a prison shank in his hand coming after me? Like, what is going on? Right? And he's just running. And the, son, and the dad gets to his son. The son, like, panics and starts to, like, beg for forgiveness. And the dad just grabs him, hugs him, and just says, shh. And he just holds him. He holds him. He gets a robe which symbolizes being reinstated into the family, and he throws a huge party to celebrate that his boy was home. And I can imagine this kid sitting at the table during this whole party thinking, wow, this is really nice, but what is going on? This is insane. Why is my dad treating me so well? Salt Company, here's the answer. Because he's his father. This is what fathers do. And you know how I told you that prodigal means recklessly spending? We can clearly see how the kid was reckless with spending all of his money. But this word actually now describes the father, not the son. Salt. God is a prodigal God. He's prodigal meaning he's reckless and he's relentless with the love that he has for us. See, the love of God just doesn't make sense. It's crazy. Doesn't seem to make sense. But this is who God is. That just like the father in this story, God says like, hey, no, 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 you are jacked up. You have done a lot. Don't try and clean yourself up. Just come home and I will come running with love and forgiveness in family. This is God. 
He says, I'll forgive you. And forgive me of what? Look at verse 17. This is what the kid says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And some of you need to know that the biggest problem in your life, guys, is not financial, it's not relational, it's sin. That is the common ground that we all stand on as human beings. We are sinful people. The greatest person you've ever met is a sinful, broken person. And sin is just anything and everything that is in opposition to who God is and what God says. And sin separates. It separates us from God and it separates us from people. And apart from Jesus, we exist here, walking towards the terrible conscious reality of hell, which is just eternal separation from God. But in the midst of that, God is such a good father that he sends the Lord Jesus Christ into the human story to die for our sin, to raise for our salvation, that upon faith we get his righteousness, he takes our sin, and he brings us back to the Father. This is the gospel. This is what Salt Company is all about. This is what we talk about every single week, and we will never stop talking about it because it's the most important news that we all need to hear and be reminded of every single day of our lives. God's love doesn't make sense. When I think about my life, I think about the, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.8, where he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That while I was just running crazy, when I was just being a pathetic excuse for a man taking advantage of people, doing just wicked, evil things, God still loved me. And in that moment, in those moments when I found myself in jail, God looked at me and he said, that one, that's the one I died for. I love that one. This is the crazy prodigal God that we have. He's reckless with his love. No one is too far gone. And so even as you think about your life, there's things in all of our lives that are dark, they're gross, you've never told anybody about. In those moments, the Father looked at you and said, that one, I love that one, and I've given everything for that one. So God is Father, and he loves in a crazy, prodigal way. Some of us have a story like this younger son. You're absolutely crazy. Welcome to Salt. Great, right? And you're like, yeah, man, that's awesome. That's great news. Some of you here, you're like, man, I, I can't relate to that. Like, I was an altar boy. I was in Awana, like all that stuff. Like, I've never smoked. I never drank. I've never slept with anybody. I don't look at porn. Like, I am like a really, really good person. This story doesn't relate to me. And if you grew up in a really religious church, chances are this is the message that you always heard. Look at the prodigal, the crazy kid. We need to pray for that one. There's another brother. And if you're in that place where you're saying like, man, this doesn't relate to me, I'm a pretty good Christian kid, there's another brother. And this speaks to you too, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. How does the brother respond? Great. Man, praise God. He's back. That's amazing. No. Watch the older brother. 
The older brother was angry and would not go in. He was angry. But his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. And when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. He's like, I've done everything right. I'm like the good Christian. And this crazy one comes back and you're excited about that? What about me? I didn't even have a goat. That was a big thing back then. I don't know. It was like a pizza or something like now. I don't. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Because the reality is the older son was just as lost as the younger one. The only difference was that the older son played by the rules. See, neither of these sons truly loved the father. And we clearly see this as the younger one just runs off and is crazy, but the older one, he was just playing by the religion rules. He was doing everything that he was supposed to do, everything that his father said, so he could just get the stuff from his dad, but he really didn't want a relationship with him. All right, the older son is comparable to the person who goes to church every Sunday, maybe even goes to a connection group throughout the week, but he only does this out of a sense of moral or religious obligation, that he doesn't do it because he loves the father, but he does it because he wants the benefits that he perceives that he will get. And he's really just pretending. The older son is stuck in duty and he's missing the relationship. He's not interested in the father at all, but he's interested in what the father can give him. Guys, the reality is that you need to know is that there's two ways to be lost. Both of these sons were lost in different ways, but both revolved around a lack of relationship and love for the father. See, both sons were really both running. The younger one was physically running away the older one was a little bit more sneaky and his heart was running away from the father. Are you there? Are you like the older son? Do you feel like God owes you something? Are you trying to earn blessings from God? Do you feel like God is holding out on you? If yes, maybe you're an older brother. Where's your heart towards the father? I just want you to ask yourself this. Are you like the older brother? In the words of Jesus, as he quoted the prophet Isaiah, are you honoring Jesus with your lips, but your heart is so far from him? This was the older son. It's the people that grew up in church, that have a Bible in their dorm room all the time. They know how to play the church Christian game. They're really good at being plastic, but they really don't care. They don't live it out. They don't actually love God. And maybe there's some older brothers here. There's some older sons here tonight. Maybe you're just kind of playing the game and you know you're being fake and it's crushing you and it's killing you and so you dabble in salt company and you come like this. Maybe you even feel bad about this and you think, man, I just can't. It's almost like it's just too far, like I've, I've lost it. But here's the good news for you, older brother. Verse 28. Just like the father ran to the younger son to forgive him and love him. Look at this, guys, I love this. Verse 28. What did the father do? The father came out and begged him. 
He runs after the crazy one that's coming back. He runs out of the party and he begs him again. This is not something that a father would do in this day. He runs out and he begs him, come back into the party. And again, we see the relentless, crazy love of God. And I want you to know, guys, that the love of God is not just God accepting you because he looks at you and he thinks you're just like pathetic. And you're like, yeah, that, they're whatever. They're pathetic. But yeah, come on in. Like sit on the couch. Go, we'll go to the corner though, right? It's not that. He doesn't just love you in that way, but he's running to you. He's running to you. He's created you. He loves you. And it's that type of love that we, when we not just examine the love of God, but when we experience the love of God, this is the type of love that leads us to repentance and leads us to really follow Jesus. And so here's the question I want to leave you with. Which brother are you? The truth is we, we all exhibit characteristics of both the younger and the older brother at times, but which are you most like right now? And as you think about this, here's what I would just urge you to do. Repent. Confess your sin. Turn to Jesus. And he will come running. Come running. Because this is God's heart towards us. And you know, as I read this, the reason I don't get tired of this is because Rob Warren sinner. I have sin in my past, I have sin in my present, and I have sin in my future that I haven't even got to yet, but I promise you I will get to it. And that's the nature of all of us. God is Father, though, and the promise is real. Jesus is who he says he is. He's defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell. He's seated at the side of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and because of what he's done and the faith that I have in him, the Father has open arms. And there's an invitation for every single one of us tonight to come home to him. And so if you're not a Christian, you need to know that there is sin in your life that is keeping you from God. And you're here tonight to hear about the love of the Father because he wants you. He's running towards you. He's running in a way that he brought you here tonight so that you can respond and come to him. And I would just urge you to do this. This is why Salt Company exists. For those of you who are more like the older brothers, and you're, you're in this place where you are a Christian, but maybe your heart is just far from him, see the love of God and let that compel you to move towards him and grab somebody after Salt Company and tell them what you need to tell them and ask them to pray for you and ask them to help you. When we understand this love, and we understand that this is what we get to come home to because I always want to come home. I always want to come home. I always want to just confess my sin and watch God just come running and wrap his arms around me. The love of the Father. And I pray that when you think about God, which is the most important thing, whatever you think about God is the most important thing in your life. When you think about him, I pray that you think Father. Let me pray. God, you are good. And as I think about my life, I'm so thankful that the truth of this story 
is something that we can hang on to. That despite our brokenness and our fickleness and like the way that we sin, the way that we turn our back on you, the way that we continue to wander, that you're always there, that your love is just kind of relentless, it's reckless, but it's for us. And Jesus, thank you for coming, for living a life that I can't live, that I try to live, but I can't, for dying the death that I should have died because of the sin in my life, and for raising back to life, achieving for me the thing I could never grasp on my own, which is just reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sin. Jesus, I just say thank you. And we, as the family of God, we just say, Jesus, we love you and we're thankful for you. Holy Spirit, would you just allow that gospel truth to just sink deep into our hearts tonight. That we would leave here not just having examined the love of the Father, but experiencing the love of the Father. And that you would propel us back into our weeks with just a different perspective on life, a different perspective on you. Cause us to worship. For those who don't know you, God, would you just continue to see, allow them to just see we're pursuing them. Show them your love.